Good morning. morning. Welcome. If you're new here among us, my name is Gene and I serve here at C3 Church as your lead pastor. Let me ask you a question. Do you get along with your family? Your in-laws? Nobody's saying yes. So this is going to go off well then. I was afraid someone's going to be like, yeah, we're going great. Now it's not going to be funny anymore. Do they drive you crazy? Do you like family gatherings or do you loathe them? Don't say yes, it'll ruin my joke. (laughs) I heard a story about a married couple that really didn't like family gatherings. Problematic, always arguments. The wife did not like her mother-in-law because... Her mother-in-law did not like her, always criticizing everything, every single thing she did. The way she dressed, the way she dressed the kids, the way she cooked, the way she fed her husband or didn't feed her husband, always a problem. Well, this past Easter, they got into this huge argument. Now, the husband doesn't want to let it go. They're arguing about it at home now. And the wife is saying to the husband, I just, I hate it when your mother argues with me every time she gets historical. Husband says, don't you mean hysterical? She says, no, historical. Every time we argue, she brings up every single thing I've ever done wrong and holds it against me. Yeah. We've talked about family. We saw sometimes in the Bible, people take revenge. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes people hold on to things. And sometimes people know when to let them go. Maybe that's not your mother-in-law. We saw the first sibling rivalry, Cain and Abel. That did not go very well. Last week, we talked about Jacob and Esau. Went a little bit better at the end. We saw that Jacob went from being Jacob to Israel, the one who holds on to the heel, to the one who holds on to God. We saw in Genesis 35, Isaac dies. Today, we're going to see that this family is kind of a messed up family you haven't noticed that already. Now, if you know the word well, you know that I skipped something. I told you, for better context and connectivity, we'll be skipping around. We're not going straight through all the chapters. We're not going to skip anything, but we're going to jump around a little bit so the stories make a little bit more sense. But there, chapter 35, I skipped a whole chapter. I jumped right over one. I left something important out, and that's what most people do, unfortunately. Normally, when looking at the story, people jump right from Jacob and Esau to Joseph. They skip some stuff. And that's the rest of the story that we're going to be looking at today. Sadly, the two stories we're going to look at today are literally omitted from the story. So if you've done this, as we have in the past, this Bible summary program, the story, 
they literally redact these two stories from it without any mention at all. So this week, we'll see a preview into the Joseph account some of you are familiar with. We're going to concentrate on that next week. But there are two stories that many don't know that make up a very important part of the rest of the story. These bookend the initiation of the Joseph account, and they have a very purposeful placement. Here we'll see that these two stories are both about revenge, and they end in different ways and have different purposes to let you know the character of the people that are going to appear in the rest of the story. So we're going to look at Dina or Dinah, and I'm going to say something right here. We're not saying it right. I've told you guys this. I played some Hebrew for you. We're not saying it right. There's nothing worse than a bunch of Americans arguing about how to pronounce Hebrew names. It's kind of silly. We look stupid. So don't bother. As long as we know who we're talking about, it's okay. I play around a lot with languages, and I know I'm not getting it right. So let's not pretend to be Hebrews. Then we're going to look at Judah and Tamar. So Genesis 34, Genesis 38. Told you we're skipping around. I want to make a note. We have some genealogies in between. I skipped over that a little bit. But I told you here in chapter 36 is probably where Job fits in if we're doing it in chronological order. Jacob and Esau. Esau has the other name, Edom. Remember, it means red. So we have the Edomites. And Job is an Edomite king. He's a king over that area in Esau's line. We got the rest of Job's story from the Greek Old Testament, that is, the Bible of the early church. And we saw some cool stuff. His identity is in that version of Job and the resurrection. It's kind of neat. Just a couple of things, among many not, actually in the Hebrew. Last week, we looked at Leah and Rachel. We talked about mandrakes. Nobody knew what they were. I told you about this deal that she made for the mandrakes. And then I focused on Rachel because I was talking about God's provision versus our human effort. There's a theme that runs through our human effort. Ishmael is a product of Abraham's human effort. Isaac is the child of the promise. We saw Jacob in the bark that he puts in the watering trough, the human effort. But God enlarges his flocks. Same thing here. Rachel suspects that she's going to use the mandrakes to try to get pregnant. But God gives her the children. First Joseph, then on her deathbed, Benjamin later. And I went that way. But if you know the word, or maybe you're good at math, you probably noticed I didn't get to 12. 12 tribes of Israel, 12 sons of Israel. I didn't quite get there if you were counting. So to summarize, first we have Leah. Leah has Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. We're going to talk about Judah today. It says God basically feels sorry for her. It's not the one that Jacob wanted. Then Rachel does something like Sarah does with the slave wife, gives Jacob Bilhah, and we get Dan and Naphtali. Well, and Leah's not getting pregnant, so she does the same kind of thing, gives Jacob Zilpah. Here you have Gad and Asher, and now the mandrake deal. So what happens? Rachel wants them, figures maybe. She's going to get pregnant if she takes them. 
Leia gets mad at her, but eventually they make the deal. Reuben got the mandrakes, the oldest son. Now Leah can be with Jacob. And that union produces three children. One of them is a girl, Issachar, Zebulun, and Dina, or Dinah. So we're going to look at her story today. So what we have here in Genesis 34 is after the encounter, Jacob and Esau, it ends well. They go their separate ways. Well, Jacob and family land in Shechem. They buy a piece of land for 100 pieces of silver. There's Hamor and Shechem. Shechem's like a prince of the land, and he sees Dina hanging out with her friends. So he decides to have his way with her forcibly. It's a bad thing. But then he begins to fall in love with her. He wants her as a bride, tries to convince her to marry him. It's not working. Says to his dad, like a spoiled kid, get that bride for me. I want that woman. So they go to Jacob and sons and try to talk to him about it. In the meantime, they've found out what Shechem did to Dina, and they're not happy. Well, Hamor gives his sales pitch first, then Shechem. It goes like this. Let's just be one big happy family now. We can kind of get over that. We'll exchange wives and stuff like that, and we'll give you our daughters for brides. You give us Dina, so Shechem shuts up. <laughs> so they're thinking about it, but Jacob's sons come up with something. They say, you know what? We can't do it because you're not circumcised like us. But if you, all the men in this town, get circumcised, we'll do it. Be like us. So they take this proposal to the townspeople, and they say, this is what we got to do, but it's going to be a good deal because we'll be prosperous, one, prosperous, one big happy family. It's all going to work out. Apparently, they're pretty good salespeople, so they decide to do it. <laughs> I'm not that good. <laughs> I don't think I could convince everybody to do that in a whole town. You see, if you're like me, you don't remember that procedure. It was done when I was an infant. I have no idea how painful that was, but I can imagine how painful it is. Probably, probably going to take more than a frozen bag of peas in a football game to get over it. So that's what I hear people do to get over other similar procedures. But it doesn't work. So in the Bible, three days later, sure enough, they're still incapacitated. They're healing up. So two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dina's full brothers. So start paying attention to which ones are the half-brothers and the full brothers and how they respond or react to different things. They decide to go into the town and kill all the men. Everybody. Hamor, Shechem, kill them all. They take revenge. Then the other sons come through and pillage the whole place. <laughs> Jacob's like, what did you do? You made me odious. You made me stink among these people. There are more of them than us, I guess, still, after killing them all, but he's worried about it. It's no good. And so, staying topical, we're going to jump over. Genesis 49. We see these blessings that the fathers are bestowing. Well, this is kind of like a deathbed blessing, just long story short. 
As a result, this is what he says, Jacob, of Simeon and Levi. Remember, Jacob, Israel, same guy. Genesis 49.5. Simeon and Levi are two of a kind. Their weapons are instruments of violence. May I never join in their meetings. May I never be a party to their plans. For in their anger, they murdered men and they crippled hamstrung oxen just for sport. A curse on their anger, for it is fierce. A curse on their wrath, for it is cruel. I will scatter them among the descendants of Jacob. I will disperse them throughout Israel. I want to make a little note here, like a good tour guide. I'm going to point out something interesting. They're not the only ones. If we go back to Genesis 35, again, Jacob's wife, Rachel, dies. So does his father, Isaac, in that section. Then... Here's what his eldest son, Reuben, the mandrake guy, does. Genesis 35, 21. Then Jacob traveled on and camped beyond Migdal Eder. While he was living there, Reuben had intercourse with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Jacob soon heard about it. I told you this was a messed up family. So, Genesis 49, this is what he says to Reuben. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my strength, the child of my vigorous youth. You are first in rank and first in power. But, if you know about the word but, everything after that word is what they really mean to say. Forget about what's before it. You are as unruly as a flood and you will be first no longer. For you went to bed with my wife. You defiled my marriage couch. So if we go back, because of Simeon and Levi, what they did, now they have to get out of Shechem. They have to get out of town. So they flee to Bethel. Remember, that means house of God, Bethel. But God protects them. He strikes fear in the hearts of their would-be pursuers or attackers. Now, in between these accounts, you have the brothers who continue to behave badly, and they take it out on Joseph. So the Joseph account, we're going to look at that next week, and that's going to be 37, and then we're going to jump again, 39 through about 50-ish. Joseph does something which causes his brothers to become jealous, so they take it out on him, similar to Cain and Abel. And I want you to notice a theme. Joseph is second youngest, not the youngest youngest, Benjamin, but there's a theme here throughout the Bible, if you're noticing it, since Cain and Abel, of the younger brother being favored over the older. Kind of interesting. So then, like they do in the movies, there's these like cut scenes. They cut away to different things. The Joseph account starts, something bad happens to him, and then they cut to this other story. So I'm going to put these things together for you. There's Judah, the fourth son. So he moves to a place called Adullam. Maybe you remember that. We're going to learn about Adullam more when we get to David. But anyway, if you're picking that up, it's good. You know the word well. He makes friends with a guy named Hira and then does something interesting. He marries a Canaanite woman. That's weird because that's the reason that probably Eliezer was sent to get the bride for Isaac. They didn't want him marrying any Canaanite women, just their own kinsmen. Same thing with Jacob. That's how Rebekah got him sent there to Uncle Laban's house. But here, Judah marries a Canaanite woman. We don't know her name. We know, though, that he has three sons. Ur, 
Onan and Shelah. Something kind of interesting happens. Ur takes a bride named Tamar. Palm tree is what it means. I don't know what the significance is. I'll get back to you on that. Tamar is palm tree. Well, it just says that Ur is wicked in the Lord's sight, so he strikes him dead. Don't be wicked. That's the lesson there, moral of the story. Well, then, that leaves Onan up at bat. What do you mean? Well, if you're familiar with the law of Moses, Deuteronomy 25.5, for example, it says that if an older brother dies, doesn't have a child, the next youngest brother has to step in and do the deed, produce an heir, so his line will continue. Sounds weird to us, but it's not to them. So this is probably the development of that tradition going on here before the law of Moses. So Judah demands it, step in, do the deed. Onan doesn't want to have a child with her. So he uses a form of birth control and gets it named after himself, an Onanism. He goes gardening with Tamar. But instead of planting the seed in the garden, he spills the seed outside the garden, if you get what I mean. It's the best thing I can do, kids in the room, you know? <laughs> How would you do it? <clears throat> so, you get where I'm going, because you're laughing. He does this, and God strikes him dead. Him too. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people will point to this passage of Scripture and say, that's why Christians aren't allowed to use birth control. They don't know the word well, because the stated reason, if you keep reading the text, it says he strikes him dead for not producing an heir for his dead brother. That's the reason he dies, not for using birth control, just so you know. So don't be legalistic. We don't do that kind of thing here. Well, there's another son. And Judah wants to keep him safe, figures, I don't know, it's Tamar woman, everybody dies when they're with her, so like, let's just, Sheila, no, he's not old enough, that's the stated reason, sends Tamar away. Okay, in the course of time, it just says that this nameless wife of Judah dies, and so Judah and Hirad decide to go on a little trip to supervise some sheep shearing, they go to Timnah. Someone tells Tamar about it. Now remember, Tamar is his daughter-in-law. So Tamar decides to remove her widow's garments. Remember, she has two dead husbands now. So she's supposed to be mourning or grieving. Maybe that's going to be a year. Takes it off, puts on a veil to disguise herself, and waits outside a town called Anaim. That's on the way to Timnah. She knows Judah's going to pass by. So she sits beside the side of the road waiting, and sure enough, Judah thinks she's a prostitute. What else would she be? Well, he propositions her, not knowing that it's his daughter-in-law. She says, what are you going to give me? Says a young goat, what else? Okay, but I don't have it with me. Well, you've got to give me security. You've got to put up some kind of security. What do you want? She says, give me that seal, its cord, and the walking staff in your hand. Now, this is probably an identification seal, like you'd stamp on wax so someone would know it was you on an envelope or a scroll or a letter back then. Think about Revelation. Like that. But this would be his identification marker. So everybody knows it's him. They go gardening. 
if you get what I mean. Then some time goes by. She starts showing. Not like Onan. <laughs> well, somebody tells Judah about it and says, she's played the role of a prostitute. He says, burn her. That's the prescription in the law. So to the people who say, you can't use birth control because it's in the Old Testament. It says it right here. You say, oh, great then. Have you been promiscuous? Because we'll have to burn you, right? So it's not a buffet, people. We can't it's just all of it or none of it. That's what it says. Trust me. All right. So she sends word to Judah and says this. These things belong to the man who got me pregnant. Uh-oh. So then it says this, Genesis 38, 26. Judah recognized him and immediately said, she is more righteous than I am because I didn't arrange for her to marry my son, Shelah. And Judah never slept with Tamar again. Doesn't say, because I slept with my daughter-in-law. That was weird. Anyway, withheld the son. So this, these are the sins here that are occurring. So we have these stories of revenge. The first takes life. Now the other makes life. Kind of the opposites. One act of revenge, the first, Dina, leads to loss of life and inheritance for Simeon and Levi. Now we'll see the other leads to a birth and inheritance. If we keep reading about Tamar, she has twins. It's kind of an interesting, yucky account, again, a lot of yucky stories. She's giving birth, and the hand comes out first. So they tie a scarlet thread around it, but then the hand pulls back. And then his brother bursts out, so they name him Perez. Now, you're going to see Perez, Perez, I don't know. You're going to see this name come up a lot in the Bible, and it's not always associated with him. It just means burst out. It's 1 Chronicles 13, where Uzzah grabs the ark. He gets struck dead. Perez Uzzah struck dead. The Lord burst out against him. You'll see it again. The Philistines, I think chapter 14, Perez, God bursts out against the Philistines, but it doesn't have anything to do. He just bursts out of the womb. That's what goes on there. Then they name the other son, Zerah, which is kind of like red light of dawn. I told you these names have meanings. Remember how out of death comes new life. We saw this. Cain and Abel, Habel, breath, Abel. He dies. But then there's Seth, which means given. Here, Ur and Onan are replaced by Perez and Zerah, another theme. They have connections, these stories, and commonalities. Deceit, whether it's with circumcision or the prostitute. This deceit causes loss of inheritance, again, for Simeon and Levi. But in Tamar, it has the opposite effect. By Judah keeping the seed of Shelah from Tamar, he ends up becoming the seed of someone very important. Did you know that Jesus is from the line of this man, Judah? Interesting. Judah, aside from his deceit, we'll see is unlike his brothers regarding Joseph and then Benjamin. 
And think about it, he did have the humility to admit his wrongdoing regarding Tamar. So conversely, Genesis 49, this is what Jacob says about him before he dies. Judah, your brothers will praise you. You will grasp your enemies by the neck. All your relatives will bow before you. Judah, my son, is a young lion that has finished eating his prey. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. He ties his foal to a grapevine, the colt of his donkey to a choice vine. He washes his clothes in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Jesus is from Judah's line. And this deathbed blessing, now we see, is prophecy. Beautiful. Jesus is from Judah's line and is referred to as the Lion of Judah in Revelation 5.5. We've been looking at genealogies. Most people skip them, but they're important. There's hidden stories in these genealogies and these blessings, prophecy, the stories of the people in them. In fact, at the beginning of the New Testament, the very beginning, Matthew 1.1, we see a very important genealogy, and I hope that today you're going to start recognizing certain things. Right at the very beginning, the New Testament starts by giving us Jesus' family tree. Must be important, right? This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of, oh, look at that, Perez and Zerah. And who else jumps in there? Whose mother was Tamar. There it is, Perez, the product of Judah and Tamar. And this will all lead to Jesus. Now, this is interesting. There are a few things that if we keep reading, we'll notice. One is that there are four women in Jesus' genealogy, and they're all undesirables. Think about it for a second. How did Tamar make it in there? You could have just put the men through there. You don't have to mention who they were, but Matthew does. That's weird. The other ones. Rahab. Rahab makes it in there. We're going to learn about her. Rahab's a prostitute. Think about that for a second. A prostitute. And also one who played a prostitute. Slept with her father-in-law knowingly in Jesus' sacred family tree? How can that be? Scripture. Ruth. You have to know a little more to get Ruth and why that's a bad thing. We're going to look at the story of Ruth and look at what's not totally obvious. She's a Moabite. The Israelites are not supposed to intermarry with Moabites, but right here in Jesus' genealogy, it's admitting to a wrongdoing. Remember how I told you how the Moabites came about. 
Do you remember Lot? Slept with two of his daughters. One of them produced the Moabites, Moab. And that's in Jesus' genealogy. Unbelievable. Then there's Bathsheba. She made it in there too, but it doesn't name her. It says Uriah's wife, implicating her and David for their adultery. David's also a murderer. When Uriah won't go away, he sends him away, puts him on the front lines of the battle and gets him killed. An adulterer and a murderer and Tamar. This is remarkable. Remarkable in Jesus' sacred genealogy for undesirable women, sinful people, adulteresses, prostitutes, murderers. Unbelievable. But this speaks of redemption. The gospel is about the redemption of the undesirables. Jesus came for the sinners, for the sick, for the lost, not those who are well. Jesus died so that no matter what you or I have done, we all get to be a part of this family, just as they did. Everyone is welcome in this crazy family. No matter what you've done or where you've come from, I want to make a note here. Hopefully this will add a little flavor to the text, but it's extremely important, especially that you understand this in this day and age. It's worth mentioning that this family is blind to race, color, sex, or circumstance. Blind. Like Ruth, no matter where you've come from, no matter what circumstance you were born into, you are welcome in this family. Galatians 3.26, for you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism, have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Many of you probably heard verse 28. I'm big on it. But now, knowing the rest of the story, isn't it nice to understand what the surrounding verses mean? It's nice to go beyond the verse of the day, isn't it? There's so much richness to this text. Did you know that Jesus calls us his brothers and sisters? For example, Matthew 12, Mark 3, parallel accounts there. He's teaching People in his house, his disciples are among them. They notice his mother, brothers are outside the house. They mention it to him and Jesus asks, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brother. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Hebrews 2.10 
God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that you make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. That's you. Jesus is not ashamed of us. No matter where we've come from, no matter what we've done, no matter what, our history. Jesus doesn't get historical on us like an earthly family member would. No matter what you've done, maybe you can relate to Rahab. Maybe you've done similar things. It doesn't matter. Maybe you can relate to Bathsheba, the adulteress, or David, the adulterer, the murderer. Okay. Or Tamar, who lied and deceived, or the others before who did that. Jacob, the deceiver, Isaac, the deceiver, Abraham, the deceiver. They were all deceitful. No matter how messed up you think it is, their history didn't stop them from getting into the family. They're in Jesus' genealogy, and neither does yours. You are all welcome in this family. This is not like your worldly one. We are not of the world. We are of the Word, who says that through Christ, you are holy, righteous, and redeemed. There is no sin too great for Christ's blood to cover. You're redeemed, you have a new family, and you don't have to go back to that old place. This family is not like an earthly one. We're not a family of the flesh. We're a family of the faith. We're not here to shame you, to remind you of your mistakes. We're not here to hold it against you, and we don't want you to hold on to it either. We're here to build you up so you can move forward and hold on to the word of life. Amen? Shining with the radiance of Christ to those around you, with the joyful hope of sharing in Christ's glory shining like stars forever. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for this church, the body of Christ that is the people in it, not the building. I pray that you fill them with your Holy Spirit, that they surrender all to you, anything holding them back. And that when they go out, it's not just Sunday to Sunday Christianity. It's every day Christianity, every hour Christianity, every minute Christianity. That we shine brightly to those around us with the love of Christ so that many come to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.